episode 29, Patrick and Cyprian speak with Dr. Sebastian Veit of Universal Quantum. The team discussed the challenges of engineering and developing a million qubit quantum system, error correction, and scaling towards distributed quantum computing. Welcome to Entangled Things, your quantum computing podcast, hosted by Patrick and Cyprian. Morning, Cyprian. How are you doing? Very well, Patrick. Looking forward for another great episode of Entangled Things. I don't think we're going to be disappointed. We're joined by Sebastian today. Sebastian, do you mind telling our audience about yourself and your company? Hey, guys. Um, great to be here with you. Very, very excited to be here. Um, yeah, hi. So my name is, is Sebastian Veit. I'm co-founder and uh, CEO of Universal Quantum. Um, I'm also a senior lecturer in quantum technologies at the University of Sussex. And uh, Universal Quantum basically is a quantum computing hardware company um, where we're focusing on, on building quantum computers. Um, and hopefully, as we uncover in this episode, um, we're doing this in a very, very unique, special way um, that will hopefully allow us to, to get to really useful quantum computers um, as quickly as possible. You've, you've picked a very lofty goal because um, companies like IBM are talking about hundreds of qubits and you know, we know about adiabatic quantum computing with D-Wave, and that's a separate technology, but they're talking about thousands of qubits. But you've set the goal at millions of qubits or a million qubits. Is there, is, is there, a, um, is there a problem that you think that that level of computing would solve? Do, do you believe that's the threshold out of the infancy? Because that's, that's the reason yeah. I think that might be an interesting number. For sure. So, um, you know, that, that might be, might be good for, for your listeners to understand as well. I mean, you know, there's, there's great work going on, um, in, in the community across the board, really. Um, but I think if we, if we zoom out and ask the question, well, one, why are so many of us excited about, about quantum computing and, and what quantum computing can do? You know, it is about these amazing applications, um, that, that would really, you know, change our world in a, in a very positive way. But if you then ask the question of what's really required to get there, I think this is where if, if you do your homework, you then very quickly realize that you have to get to the sort of million qubit level. That there is, unfortunately, as we know so far, there's no way around that. And this is really why, um, you know, Universal Quantum uh, and still, you know, back in academia before as well, we've always said that is our goal. This is where we want to go. Um, we're focusing on our, our attention on doing the engineering and the development work that would eventually allow us to scale to that sort of system size. Um, mm. Obviously, perfectly fine to um, and important to work with smaller qubit numbers as well. There's lots to learn, lots to uncover, but I think it's just important to understand that eventually we have to get to the millions of qubits. And right. you know, we're just in a fortunate state, we hope, that, that our architecture can actually get us there. And this is why we're very happy and passionate about dreaming that sort of scale. That's amazing. That's, that's so, absolutely fabulous. So my the immediate question that popped in my mind uh, is, what are, let's say, the top three challenges that you see in getting to that million qubits? Great question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and stop me if I list more or less than, than three here. But uh, I think there are many more. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the number of things we're, we're, we're going to have to tackle. But um you know, I think one of one of the things, obviously, um, you know, is we need to get a handle, um, you know, on the the errors that these machines have. So, so all of the quantum computers that you would currently access, um, and realistically, you know, the sort of machines um, all of us would build going forward will have some sort of errors. Um, and realistically, you know, 
maybe maybe before I get onto that, just answer a question I just throw in here um, right at the start is why do we even need a million qubits? Right? You know, why? That that's a pretty big number. And you know, if you were theoretically minded, you would probably say, well, actually, a couple of thousand of qubits is enough um, to tap into all of those applications. Now, the reason is that these machines have errors. And the way to deal with errors in a quantum computer is to run error correction. Um, you know, it's it's known in the in the sort of classical computing world as well. We, we have something similar in the in the quantum world. Now, what this quantum error correction protocol is asking um, us to do is basically to give it a lot of qubits. And this is why eventually you you get to those sort of requirements of getting to to millions of qubits. Um, Sorry, the, the, coming back to your, your question now, you know, what are the, the sort of three challenges? Um, you know, one obviously is to get a handle on those, those errors and to implement error correction. Um, with that comes the challenge of scaling up. You know, if you look at the, um, the engineering involved and you can look at the different platforms, the different approaches people are following yeah. to, um, you know, to big corner computers, answering the question of, okay, so how do you get from where you are right now, which is very impressive, how do you get to a million qubits? How do you scale to that sort of right. size? Big um, problems. Big, big problems. You know, it, it, on the modularity side, uh, on cooling requirements, on connectivity. I mean, the you know, getting the wires. Have lots of them. Getting Sorry. the getting the computer readout wires into that space without causing extra noise and extra errors. There's all sorts of engineering feats yeah. that you have to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, you know, everyone has certain challenges. And I think, um, you know, the the point I would just always make is, well, one, ask that question, um, you know, especially when you look at different different architectures out there, you know, how does that scale? You'll find challenges all over the place. Um, but I think, and this is maybe where universal quantum comes in, is, you know, we have a lot of work to do. However, we have a pretty neat way of, of scaling up with you where the sort of challenges that, that you and maybe your, your listeners would have, you know, been pointed to in the past, we can, we can hopefully get around with our particular um, approach. Yeah. You, on your website, you talk about some advantages. One of them being that you operate at a much higher temperature. And for some of our listeners, unless you live in the Northeast of the United States, you might not think of those temperatures as, as differences. It was one degree last week where I live. Uh, anyways, but um, you're at 70 Kelvin instead of in the millikelvin range for, for your normal operations, which gives you a great advantage, um, I assume, because um, one, it's it's pretty easy to stay at that temperature range nowadays with the technologies. And so does that help reduce the noise and therefore help you uh, combat errors? Yeah, it, it does make a big a big difference. You know, if, if you're sitting at milli millikelvin temperatures, the cooling power you have available um, at that temperature is pretty limited. Um, you know, you're working with with dilution refrigerators, um, which you know at the moment just have limited cooling power. So when you scale that up, um, you, you have certain challenges to to overcome, especially given the 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 number of connections you have to make with these superconducting qubit machines, you know, to get all the control signals and read out and so on. And you've mentioned some of some of that earlier uh, as well. So for us being able to to sit at 70 Kelvin, and one should say, technically we're a room temperature technology. Um, that there's actually some um, some fun engineering reasons why we'd like to um, to cool this machine down to 70 Kelvin. Actually, not that much to do with the quantum. Um, but yeah, at 70 Kelvin, you've got ample of cooling power. 
um, around, you know, you can you can really see how that scales up to the sort of numbers that we will eventually need um, for for million cubic quantum computers. Interesting. That, that's most certainly one benefit, but there's lots lots more as well. Did, did I interrupt the list of uh, of 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 issues that you wanted to get out? I know it might be more than three. Were there other things that that are challenges or that keep you up at night as the CEO? What's the number one? I, I assume you've just listed off the number one and two things that you wanted solved tomorrow, if you could. Um, so is, is the, I guess I should formulate a better question. Uh, <laughs> um, so do you think that we're going to see a winner or loser between the modalities? Like you're doing uh, trapped ions. Honeywell uh, is the biggest U.S. company I know that's doing the same approach. And it's already available through the cloud, through Microsoft, their technology. Um, IBM is, is famously doing um, superconducting circuits. I believe, and maybe foolishly, I'd love to see, hear your opinion, and also, of course, Cyprian's, I believe that we may see a long extended period where multiple modalities are being developed, unlike what we saw in classical computing. In classical computing, an architecture won, and everyone obliged to it. But there are so many fundamental discoveries of physics being found in this search. Maybe we'll end up with a major sector of the, of the quantum computing industry using trapped ions and another major using superconductors. Or do you think it will collapse into one, one um, whichever one gets to a million qubits first, perhaps? What, what do you I, think I about mean that? I, I think I agree with you. I don't, I don't see a, a collapse onto one particular. Um, you know, platform for for the foreseeable future. I, I think there's there's lots of work to do in different architectures. They're all at at different stages of of readiness level, so to so to speak. And we'll have to see how everyone gets on. I can obviously only talk to the, the here now, and in terms of what what we can offer, in terms of how how we're thinking about getting to to a million qubits as quickly as possible. But I think you know, even if you had two different machines at, at, a, at a million qubits that work in different ways there may be different things that they are more suitable to than, than the other ones um i really don't think at the moment um that it is so clear to say there's one winner who takes everything that that's most that, certainly not i think that's a big difference between uh, the classical computing world and the quantum computing world yeah, because there they are fundamentally, you know, they, yes, they're all quantum computers, but they, they work different as well. They may have different clock uh, cycles, different connectivity in the system, mm -hmm. um, you know, different subtleties that may make it um, slightly better at, at certain application um, areas. I think that will wash out as we then go to um, to the next phase in, in the sort of development roadmap. Yeah. But, you know, we're talking pretty long time scales here. Cyprian, do you have any opinions on this? Yeah, I, I was just wondering. Uh, um, uh, was trying to 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 ask Sebastian. Let's say tomorrow you wake up and you have your one million qubit machine uh, working, right? What would be the first killer uh, application of that machine that you would uh, uh, love to see? Obviously, there are many more, many of them, right? But let's say you reach the point in the not so distant future where you have your your threshold of a million qubits what is the first thing that you would like to do with those qubits or yeah, see I'm, others do with your machine obviously sure i mean to be honest i'd i'd love this sort of technology get into into a broad range of different sectors for sure um personally I, i'm 
I'm very, very excited about the pharmaceutical space, um, yeah. you know, and where, where quantum computers can really move that forward and help us develop new drugs and, you know, really have that that amazing impact that, that you know, many of us hope quantum computers will have in that sort of space. Unlocking that, I mean, that would just be a dream um, for, for sure. But I, I, I think there's lots of other exciting areas out there as well. I also strongly believe that we have not uncovered a lot of the the, the amazing applications that quantum computers will eventually uh, be seen to have so it would be great to see how that field develops as well um, as these machines become more powerful i think think this is very well aligned with uh, what both patrick and i would like to see (laughs) happening with the first generation of quantum computers (laughs) well i i i i I agree with you but i i have a little bit of a different tint on it so there was a paper that came out in 2019 that said if you had 20 million physical qubits that with the level of error correction we're seeing now, you could break an RSA 2048. And I won't be, I think we all acknowledge that the fact that the, the great powers competition is funding a lot of what the interest is here. It's The altruism is very important. It's, it, I think it's going to be the legacy of quantum, but its early days are, are map, met with uh, big powers hoping to read each other's secrets. And so by the time you get to a million qubits, even if it's really quickly, like within this decade, um, we'll probably be down to a million or less qubits, physical qubits needed to break RSA 2048. And there are some old people who are saying that's decades away. And I disagree. I think organizations like yours are bringing that in to this decade or shortly after the end of this decade. Uh, but I'm hoping that the first big s- discovery, which will really open it up to everyone, is when we break the nitrogen fixation problem. Because if we save 2% of our Earth, the Earth's energy expenditure, that's going to make headlines everywhere, and it'll force everyone to finally see, oh my gosh, I, how does this apply to me? I think that's the big aha moment. Drugs, super materials, those are all going to be the legacy and, and where it spends its time. But in order to get the, the common person's attention, I think we have to do something that they didn't realize it could do. And nitrogen fixation is probably the low-hanging fruit. And I think a million qubit system would absolutely solve that problem. Yeah. So. Um, I was wondering, Sebastian, coming back to uh, the big difference that your approach uh, has compared to the others, how is error correction different at 70 Kelvin as compared to uh, approaches that run, let's say, in millikelvin temperatures? Is there a difference? Are you facing different challenges for error correction? Uh, And if yes, can you elaborate a little bit on how, let's say, maybe simpler or more robust is error correction at 70 Kelvin? So, great question. So let, let, me, let me just zoom out a little bit, just to give you a, um, just a, a 30 second um, overview on how we're different. Because the, you know, if you ask me, what are you most proud about in terms of how, how you're approaching this differently to, to other people? It's not the temperature. You know, the temperature is a, is a very Obviously, nice side effect. Probably a side effect, yeah. yeah. Yeah, of our technology, and it helps a lot to not sit at, at millikelvin, um, for sure. Um, but really what, what Universal Quantum is about um, is, is taking a, a you know, a, a super modular approach um, to this whole problem where, you know, you will often hear people talking about, hey, we need modular quantum computers, but we've really taken this to the next level where um, we're developing fully integrated chip level quantum computing modules where each module can really act as its own mini quantum computer, so to speak. And the way this machine um, then implements um, 
quantum operations in stark contrast to to many other uh, especially trapped iron based quantum computing companies is by the application of global um, microwave fields now the the sort of key takeaway message here is that for a let's call it traditional uh, trapped iron based quantum computing company if you're sitting at um, you know a million qubits you would need on order uh, of a million laser beams that you somehow have to carefully align um, and, and get working in your in your quantum computer. For us, um, we can replace all of that with a handful of microwave fields, and that's it. Um, so, from a controllability point of view, and this is what we focused on so much, it's really you know things work really well right now in in all of the trapped iron systems out there. It's a beautiful system. The qubit is well protected, very well controlled. Um, all the white record gate fidelities come out of that space. It's it's a fantastic system. But in our mind, at least, the way we traditionally control these systems, it just becomes worrisome when you scale that up to, to large system sizes. And this is where we're taking this, this different approach. Um, we've removed a huge overhead in what is required to control these qubits at scale. So that's one. That gives us one module. Now, when we then think about, um, you know, we'd obviously be very proud. We have these modules fully integrated. This is what we're working on right now. Um, I can now, because this is all silicon-based fabrication that, that, we're, that we're focusing on here, I can make these modules bigger. I can call up the fab and I can say, hey, you know, I want a module twice as big, please. And they would probably do that. But at some point, I'm going to get a response saying, look, this is the biggest chip I can make. It's the biggest one I can push through my fab. I need to start again. And I'm going to send you two of these. And then the question is, you know, great, that's nice. But how do I connect these two quantum computing modules together to form a bigger quantum computer. And that's it in general in, in the quantum computing sector is, is, you know, people think about this very hard and it's not easy to make that working for the different different platforms out there. Now, um, for trapped ions, there, there's a number of approaches out there. Um, and photonic interconnectors may be one that, that your readers may be familiar with, um, you know, a company called INQ. Um, you know, very actively um, looks at that sort of space, which is, it's a great technology. And it's, it's you know, on, on paper, most certainly um, very appealing, where the idea is, you know, you move um, the information from a trapped iron qubit onto a photon, you take the photon out of the system, plug it into the the, the second system, and you can create a, a quantum link between the two. Um, but there are certain challenges with that sort of technology that worried us a little bit. Um, and we've chosen to go a, a different route and we've developed an, an approach where we can generate electric field links between our quantum computing modules that allow us to physically move these trapped iron qubits from one module over to the next without the detour of a, of a qubit, uh, of, a, of the photon. Now, okay. that may sound like a lot of gibberish and what does that really mean? But to kind of put this into, um, into numbers, the, the sort of, output and result that we expect to see from that are order of magnitudes, better fidelities and speeds. The sort of fidelity and speeds you really need to build a quantum computer. Now, we'll have announcements on this soon. I can't, unfortunately, use this medium to, to do that, but there will be um, some very cool stuff coming out in the, in the next few weeks um, that I would most certainly um, you know, urge your listeners to, to keep an eye out on just to, to kind of demonstrate how nice um, you know, our particular technology here can can work. So that that's maybe um, maybe one point. So with that, you know, and it's unfortunate that we don't have um, 
you know, slides to look at here. It's sometimes a bit easier to explain uh, when you have some visuals. But that gives us a very unique opportunity um, for for scaling up, we hope, with our particular um, approach. It that, that's like actually, as just as a side note, one of the things that many people called us uh, crazy of attempting to talk about quantum um, in the context of a podcast where the voices are the only things going through. No images, no slides, no animations, right, Patrick? <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a challenge, but it's been fun. It sounds like you're, you're inventing distributed quantum computing. You're, you're taking on that challenge long before I've really heard anybody else thought to think about those problems. Maybe um, one of the things that, that strikes me about this is that we're, we're, we have the example, and we talked about this with our first guest in our seventh episode. We're blessed because we have the example of classical computing. We know what problems classical computing ran into eventually, and we can actually work on them in parallel. And it sounds like you're working on the scale problem before we're at scale. And I think that's, that's going to move us much faster than if we waited until we ran into the scale problem. I, I think you, you've put this very nicely. So this is, so universal content is taking a completely different approach here to, to many of the other people out there. We're, we're not in the business to, to build a very nice five qubit, 10 qubit, 50 qubit system, you know, that we can all be very proud of. And let me be very clear that the stuff people are doing with these sort of systems and what they've managed to build there is outstanding. It is amazing. Agreed. Um, but the, the issue that one just faces is, you know, you have that, you celebrate, you're very happy, and then you need to think about going bigger. So you add 10 qubits, so you double the system size. And, you know, you always address the, the next roadblocks that you have. You know, you face different scalability issues and so on. Um, which in our mind, if you keep on going that way, it will take you a pretty long time to eventually get there if you get there at all, because you may well hit certain barriers uh, right. that will stop you from, from going further. Now, we've kind of taken a step back, and it's a painful process because you can't often join in in the fun that, that some people have with these you know, smaller qubit systems and making very nice press releases with this and so on. But we've really took a step back and said, well, okay, you know, what do we need to do, technically speaking, to build a million qubit quantum computer today? You know, if, if we you know, didn't do anything in between, what would actually be required? And we've developed these, you know, different number of technologies um, over the years, um, also still back in academia, uh, to address some of the challenges that we on paper could see uh, coming up. Until we got to the point where we were comfortable that in principle, and God, would it be difficult and expensive we should be able to build this sort of machine right now on, on paper. And this is not the yeah. way a product development roadmap would normally look. But what that sort of approach where we flipped it all around, what that enables us to do right now is to show you what a million qubit trapped iron quantum computer with our technology looks like. And we can show you exactly what needs to happen from today to the point where we need to get to. And you should not be able to point out fundamental roadblocks there where we still have to write 50 nature exactly. pages um, to, to kind of overcome those. And I think that that is just a different way of doing it. It's not quite as sexy, let's say, on the, on the short term, but we feel it's the fastest route to get us to a million qubit quantum computer. I, I think it's a brilliant approach because if I think about, if you think about a, a city growing, would you want the city growing one mile at a time and then discovering there's cliffs that you can't get past, or would you want to send explorers a hundred miles out to see what's the best best place for the city to grow and how should it grow? And that's what you're doing. You're looking at 
what's the frontier that we're going to run up against? And should that inform what we're doing now? Because if you make a discovery that, hey, I can do a million qubits this way, but I can't do it this way, maybe that causes some of the companies that are that are in the, the five to 100 qubit fight to change their strategy, to, to, to do a better job and, and it makes a shorter path. So I think it's very, I think it's incredibly uh, visionary and farsighted. And I think that it's going to be, um, we're going to look back at this as this is the kind of thing that allows us to go faster, finds the future come faster. So I'm very happy you're doing it. You're communicating that much, much better than, than I could. <laughs> that was very nicely put. Yes, um, I, I completely, completely agree with that. I, um, I was wondering, um, are there any specific limitations with any type of, of quantum circuits or with any types of gates that you are encountering uh, using your approach? Um, do you mean in terms of the the capabilities of the machine to execute certain yeah, algorithms? Yeah, yeah. Is that okay? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think because uh, uh, just to elaborate a little bit, right? We sure. had discussions, and uh, it, it seems that at some point we always get to like let's for example using our technology. We've heard this multiple times. Using our technology is fairly straightforward, let's say, to implement the CNOT gate, but it's much more difficult to implement the Toffoli gate or, or, or things like that. Like, I was wondering, are there any specific, let's say, limitations or challenges, to be more accurate, that you see with any specific types of, of gates or combinations of gates or even circuits that you see applying your approach? No, not necessarily. I mean, the you know, want to just be clear, you know, we're building universal quantum computers. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's was the other yes. thing that I, I just wanted to, to follow Clarify. up, but that's great that you mentioned. So you're, at the name implies, obviously, you're in the business of building universal quantum computing. Yes, so absolutely. Yep. Yeah, and, that's right. And so when I, I took a couple of the online courses at MIT and they were very, very good. Uh, they even had um, Peter Shore as one of the lecturers. Um, and they made it pretty clear that the two biggest contenders and the most well-developed were trapped ion and uh, saw and, 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 and the, um, the, the other approach that we see IBM taking, which is the superconductors. Uh, and to some extent, I think there was even a little bit of a, um, a bias towards trapped ion being um, a little less encumbered. Uh, it, it's easier to do some of the, the printing and, and the chip building with the, with without having to trap actual molecules, maybe, but um, they they seem to indicate that there was no impediment to establishing all possible gates with both technologies. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's right. In, in terms of the, I don't see limitations on the types of gates that you can do. Um, if you look at different technology approaches, and if you're looking at you know superconducting qubits and, and trapped ions, for example, the the sort of differences that that one experiences when we talk about connectivity, for example. And I don't know um, how much you, you have explored that topic on your um, on your podcast so far, but what I mean by connectivity is the the ability of a qubit in your system to talk to a different qubit in, in the system. Now, when we talk about a, a superconducting qubit machine, for example, where these qubits are printed in place, um, we're talking about a machine that has nearest neighbor only connectivity the qubit right. can only really talk to the qubit next to it um which is fine um but if one is able to increase that connectivity 
um, you can you can gain on the on the computational power side. For example, certain error correction uh, processing can, can become a bit simpler. So the one of the positives on the trapped iron side is that we do have a fully connected system. In, in particular, in our sort of approach, where we like oh. to move these qubits around in space, we can actually get qubits to to talk to other qubits at will in in the system, and we're not limited to only nearest neighbor interactions. And are, are you that's, able that's often to, not, not to, talked about enough. Are, are you able to influence the the, the topology of the of the connections uh, with your system? Uh, I mean, in a in a dynamic way. Or, I'm thinking here, like reconfiguring um, the the uh, communications topology between the qubits. Yes, we, we would do that all the time. Absolutely. So so we the the, the qubits are, are free to move around within reason, and it depends on on the sort of chips that we that we design. Um, but then you can, fi- can reconfigure um, the way that that qubit distribution looks like across the chip. Absolutely. That that would be a a, a, a huge advantage over the more static approaches that that we've just mentioned. It gives you more flexibility, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and if you think about classical computers, when, you know, when a bit rots or, or, or something goes offline, a sector becomes unusable, it doesn't affect the sectors around it. Whereas with some strategies, if, if all the, the qubits surrounding a, a functioning qubit become unusable, it, that qubit effectively is isolated and unusable. So the damage is, is compounded a little bit. I had never thought about that. So that's an interesting, uh, it also makes me think that that might be how you would wire together. That would give you the ability to wire together. When you were talking about the analogy of, I fit as many qubits as I can on a, on a platter, and now I have to add a second platter. How do I bridge those platters? I really had trouble imagining that because I was thinking in the superconductor format. How, the, how, how, would, you, how would you entangle qubits from two separate superconducting platters? which they'll have to figure out, but it sounds like that's something that would be much easier for you. Yeah, because we, we leverage the the capability of being able to move these qubits around and with our specific interconnect technology, um, we can actually move these qubits from one of those modules or platters over to, to the next one. And preserve superposition and not... And not pres- yeah, because the, the information, again, you know, for, for trapped ions, you, you kind of store the information inside a, a trapped ion qubit. And uh, it's it's not very it's not very coupled to its environment, which means you moving this qubit around, the information doesn't really feel that in, inside. So it's very so, well protected from those. So you're qubits. not you're not doing anything funky with the no cloning theorem. It's it's the you're actually moving that that yeah. that's amazing. Very classical. Uh, so you know, very very yeah. really think about okay, I've stored some quantum information, and I'm now physically moving this information from position one to position two. Wow. I was wondering, Sebastian, can you share with our audience some numbers around, let's say, the, the error rates that you are seeing with your error correction approaches or things like that? Or those are part of those announcements that you mentioned previously? Yeah, they, like I said, the, we'll have to wait on, on some of those numbers and especially, well, I, I shouldn't even, or almost let me there. <laughs> we'll see what, what the what We the can edit out is. anything. We can edit out anything we shouldn't say. Yeah, of course, no, it's fine, but especially on on specific numbers and when we talk about you know connecting modules and those sort of things, that that would be that would be there. Um, okay. In terms of you know error correction, that that's still on on our roadmap to kind of implement that. And like I said, for that we we need to increase the the the, the number of qubits and you know work on a, on a number of things to to see that improvement from from error correction. 
um, that, that a number of people are now starting to work on. So for our listeners, um, every time we, we have a new guest, we create a page for the episodes of that guest, and that'll be no different than here. Uh, so when that announcement comes out, we'll be sure to put a link up. And that announcement co- might come out around the time we publish this episode. So check out that page right away, uh, and you might not have to wait to, to hear this big news that's coming. And I, I do have one more question. I know, Patrick, that we're, we're close on time, but one, one other question that was on my mind, uh, again, given the approach that you have, does it have any positive impact on the overall size of these machines that you are building? And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm asking is I'm, I'm daring to think even one step further, right, is once you have the the the, the 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 million qubit machine. What will it take to replicate that machine and actually create larger farms of of, of multi million qubit quantum computers? Um, what is the impact in terms of physical size of these things? One of the things that we are constantly hearing is that not only you have very special conditions, but also in terms of of size, these are are pretty demanding machines what what would be your case here before you answer he just wants to know because he wants one in his basement that's that's why he's asking <laughs> well that goes without saying right that that's implied in, in the question clearly so i mean d- d- depending on the size of your basement we may be able to, to fit it in there it, it won't <laughs> it, it won't fit on your on on your desk you know that's not our aim Obviously, um, yeah. you know I, I think that that makes little sense in terms of how how i would envision you know, quantum computing going and how we access that resource and what you use it for. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in terms of size and the the potential advantages with with our sort of approach, sure. If you and I'm talking within the trapped iron community um, yeah. uh, sector now, the it most certainly helps to not have to um, use an interconnect technology, which is chunkier in size to what we're talking about here i mean for us the interconnect technology which is just the 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 electric field bridges that we can establish between these modules i mean they're they're micrometer scale you know that that's just that's what we're talking about here whereas if you build a a corner computer with a vacuum system around and all this sort of stuff and then you start again and then you connect that um using you know let's say photons if that is the the route that you go that comes with a bigger footprint to to what we're talking about um here absolutely but but to be honest one also has to to be fair we're also not going around like oh we're half the size of of other people um i think let's just get us to a million qubits and you know, provided it's a reasonable size, I don't really care if, if someone's twenty percent smaller or not. I don't. It's going to be that sort of It's going to be cloud based. I, I I think that it's going to there are going to be some organizations, educational institutions, University of Sussex, for example, that might want a quantum computer for fundamental research and things. But most the average person is going to interact with it as a function call to the cloud. Yeah, and so agreed. it's going to it's going to live in a big data center. So no, I absolutely agree with that. And Cyprian's basement. Um, so we're we're getting close on time. Um, but we have a little bit more. If there's anything else you would like to highlight, I'm, I'm very excited to hear about these announcements. And as I said, it's possible those announcements will have come out by the time this episode comes out because we do record a little bit in advance. Um, and so please, uh, you know, give us those links once they're they're public. We'll put them in there and then our, our audience won't be left in suspense. Only Cyprian and I will be left in suspense. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, point people to, any resources um, that you think people should be checking out to get more information about 
what your company's doing. I've checked out your webpage. You do a great job on the first page to explain the six areas that you're really exploring, the lower temperature requirements or higher temperature requirements, I should say, and other things. But is there anything else you'd like to to, to finish us off with? Well, I mean, I, I think in in general, and I think you know, most of you viewers probably are already quite excited about quantum, but I, I always say this and just generally want to encourage people to engage with this field. Um, it's it's so transformational in terms of you know what what this will deliver um you know in, in hopefully not too distant the future so just this encouragement to engage with it in in whatever way makes sense for you so that that's most certainly one um from universal quantum points of view we're, we're very happy to to talk to the outside world um so if you have any questions um or want to partner in in some shape or form visit our website get in touch directly um we're, we're very keen to I'm very happy to talk um, to people if they're interested in our technology and the way we view the quantum computing space and the way we're going to get to a million qubits, um, hopefully not to distant future. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate your time. It's been an excellent talk, and I hope we have you on the show again sometime. Thanks so much for the invite. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Bye.